yourselves. I want to begin this morning um, by recognizing that there is an incredible paradox in the Christian life. And some of you will know this strictly by experience. Others of you have probably heard about it as we've taught here. And, uh, And it's this. It's that when you follow Jesus, when you commit your life to following Christ, you experience both uh, the most incredible, joyful life uh, you could possibly imagine, and at the same time, it is the most difficult thing you've ever imagined. Have any of you, would you say that you've experienced that in your life? We, we see this paradox when we compare passages like John 10.10, 10, which tells us that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, but then we read passages like Matthew 16, 24, which tells us that if we want to follow Jesus, we have to take up our cross and follow him. And those two things don't seem to fit together, do they? I don't know what image comes to your mind when you hear about the cross, uh, but I would imagine that it's quite different than what Jesus' first century audience would have thought of. For them, it was nothing less than an instrument of torture and of execution and of death, when they saw it, it would strike terror in them. And yet somehow that image is coupled together with this abundant, joyful life. How is that even possible? Well, this morning we're in week two of our series titled Unexpected Christmas, and we're studying the unexpected events surrounding the Christmas story as told in Matthew's gospel. In fact, if you brought a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend our time. It's the very first book of the New Testament. And last week, we saw that Matthew actually begins his account in an unexpected way, at least for you and I it is, because he starts with a genealogy, this big list of names and While it might seem kind of cumbersome or kind of weird to us that he would start in that way, uh, that is actually so much more than just a list of names. Matthew's genealogy is intended to give validity to the rest of his gospel, and we saw that last week. We saw that it shows the story is true. We saw that it shows us that God can work in anything to accomplish his purposes, and it showed us that the gospel is for everyone. Well, this morning, we're going to pick up right where we left off in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be focusing on the story of Joseph. Now, you know that Joseph was Jesus' adoptive father, uh, but in this account, we're going to see both the cost of following Christ, the, the cross that we talked about, taking up your cross and following him, but also the motivation for doing that, the abundant life that Christ spoke of. So let's start reading it together in verse 18. Here's what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Let's pause right there. The passage starts by talking about this thing called betrothal. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and that might be an unfamiliar concept to you because we don't do that here in the West. It was a Jewish custom, though, and in those days, marriages were arranged. So if you were a young Jewish man, your parents got to pick who you would marry. Talk about the ultimate payback for a son that has caused you grief all of his growing up years, right? You know who you're going to marry? Delinquent Dolores, that's who. And we hope you enjoy her as much as we've enjoyed you all of these years. 
that's probably not how it played out, but it was what came to my mind. Well, the parents would have to pay what was called a bride price to the family of the woman that they wanted their son to marry. And it was typically a a very uh, large price. It was an expensive uh, process. And so because of that, the parents who were paying that bride price would want to make sure that the girl they had chosen for their son was pure. And so that required a year of waiting before the couple could come together to live together and to consummate the marriage. And then after that year of waiting, you know, it would be seen that, yes, she was indeed pure. They could move in together and then do the things that married people do. That was the betrothal period. But in every other way, during the betrothal period, you were considered married. At the point of the betrothal ceremony, if you wanted out of the relationship from that point forward, you had to get a legal divorce. It, it was binding just like our wedding ceremony is today. Well, it's during this betrothal period that Mary became pregnant. And I'm not sure many of us can really even understand how painful and humiliating that news must have been for Joseph. I mean, what would it have been like to hear this news from your wife who you have never been intimate with. And not to mention that she has this fascinating story of how the pregnancy miraculously happened through no wrongdoing of her own. Really, Mary? Really? I mean, you've already broken my heart. You've already broken your vow. Why make it worse with this stupid story? Well, Joseph, of course, doesn't believe her. Who would? And it's important to know that he actually has the legal right at this point to put Mary to death. That was the the, uh, sentence for committing adultery. It was a death sentence. But according to the text, uh, Joseph chose not to do this. And instead, it says he arranged to divorce her quietly. Now, in verse 20, we read this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, many of us have heard this story since we were kids, and maybe you can't recite the passage word for word, but uh, you certainly are are familiar with it. You know before the story even ends how it's going to wrap up. You know that, that Mary wasn't impure that Joseph comes around, the baby's from the Lord, and and everything's going to work out, right? But I wonder if that familiarity with the story has caused us to miss some things. I mean, think about this. Have you ever wondered why God did it this way? I mean, why why so complicated? Why, Why so controversial? Why not tell Mary and Joseph at the same time what's going on? Why not save them some heartache and some some questioning and and all of those things. Why did God choose to do it this way? That question was on my mind as I was studying this week. And I imagine there are a number of reasons why God does things the way that he does things, some reasons that we will never know this side of eternity. But there's one thing that that stood out as I thought through it this week. 
I think God was making it clear, even from before Christ's birth, of what it would cost for people to follow his son. I think God was just making it clear, even from the very beginning, there is a cost associated with following Christ. Joseph's story here in Matthew chapter 1 shows us both a picture of that cost, but also why following him is worth it. So I want to show you both the cost and the motivation for living that way, for paying that price. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing it cost Joseph. It cost him faith. And it cost him a lot of faith. I mean, Joseph had to believe the impossible and risk absolutely everything on it. And I'm sure that the the angel and the dream helped, right? But have you ever had a dream that seemed so real that when you woke up, you had a hard time figuring out what what was real and what was just the dream? I've had dreams like that before, and it's it's weird as you go throughout your day trying to remember, was that did I just dream that or did I do that or and, and you know, did, Mo, did Joseph feel that way when he woke up? Did he start thinking through, like, what did I eat right before bed last night? What was that? We're not given any of that detail, but we do know from verse 24 that Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He responded in faith. You know, we've been talking a lot these past couple of weeks about our Christmas offering. Kevin's going to tell you more about that at the end of the service, but... Over the last two years, through that Christmas offering, we've been able to bless our outreach partners with over $100,000 where they could take that money and use it for kingdom purposes around the world. And when I think about those folks, when I think about the, the ways that they serve and the places where they're serving, I can't help but think about their great faith. I think about people like Esperandu and Deanne Pierre. They started and served with Nehemiah Vision Ministries down in Haiti, uh, it's a tough place. It's tough conditions all the time. They could absolutely move somewhere else if they wanted to, the Pierres. They could move to the States. They could live an easy life. But God has called them to Haiti, and every day they keep serving and living by faith down there. I think about my friend Ryan and his wife Lori Sudsbury with Go Ministries. Ryan and I were in Bible college together. We really weren't that good of friends. We didn't have much in common, but we've come to be excellent friends over our common bond in Christ. And Ryan is planting churches in the Dominican and Haiti and Mexico and Argentina. He has started seven churches in seven different prisons. And Ryan saw over 300 people be baptized into faith in Jesus over the last two years. And uh, it requires a lot of him, a lot of travel, a lot of time away from his family. And Ryan does that not because he loves, you know, traveling, but because he loves Jesus. He and Lori have chosen to live lives of faith. And I think about Matt Wallace from Opportunities Now. I got to meet Matt several years ago, and it was clear that he could have used his business savvy, his business skills to build, uh, you know, wealth for himself here in the the United States, but instead he chose to go to Myanmar and to put his skills to use helping others. Matt helps people build sustainable income through uh, effective business practices, all while sharing the love of Jesus with those folks. Matt and his staff at Opportunities Now are living by faith. And I think about David and, and Carrie Hartman, and you're wondering why their picture isn't on the screen right now. Well, it's because they're serving in an area of Asia that is so hostile to Christians that we have to be careful about how we put their information out there. 
they could have done anything. They're both Purdue grads. They both have big families here in the States. But God called them to this place, this place where it's predominantly a Muslim culture to go and be light and salt. I remember uh, when the Hartmans were here about seven years ago and they sat on this stage and we interviewed them and, and we asked them, why would you do that? Why, why would you do something like that? Why would you leave your family and your friends and, and go someplace that has inherent danger? And Carrie's answer was, because Jesus is worth it. They're just living a life of faith. But it's not just our, our outreach partners. I think of many of you as well when I think of people of faith. Many of you took a huge step of faith with us last spring by committing financially to our giving initiative called Greater. We want to reach disciples, um, make disciples. We want to reach our cities. We want to change the world. And so uh, we want to help more and more people, help their I'm getting my tongue all tied up this morning. We want to help people find their way back to God. And many of you made a huge sacrifice and a financial commitment to our two-year goal right at the start of a pandemic. I mean, we barely knew what we were getting into. And yet so many of you sacrificially committed to give to these things. The reason that you did that is, is because you also understand that Jesus is worth it and that following Jesus means choosing to live by faith. That's the first thing that we see that it cost Joseph to. Here's something else I want you to see. Following Jesus likely cost Joseph his reputation, his reputation. I mentioned earlier that Joseph could have had Mary put to death for being found pregnant during the betrothal period. I mean, it was assumed that she was an adulterous woman. She'd been unfaithful, she'd been immoral, and it was a death sentence to be found pregnant during the betrothal. And it was a, the kind of death was, was a stoning. Adultery was punishable by stoning, just a, a brutal way to be put to death. And all of the power is in Joseph's hands at this point. He could wash his hands of the whole situation, have Mary killed. He could start over with somebody brand new and never look back, but he doesn't do it. Look again at verse 19. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph is described as being a just man. Some of your translations might read that he was a righteous man. But wouldn't it be the just thing to punish Mary for what she had supposedly done? Isn't that what a righteous person would do? And it's interesting, if you fast forward about 30 years in, in the gospel story, you'll find that Jesus was put in a very familiar situation where a woman had been caught in adultery. They, they drug her out of town, the, the local religious leaders did, and, and they wanted to stone her, but they wanted Jesus' approval before they did it. And so they asked him for, for his approval. We should stone her, right? That's what the law says to do. And Jesus stands in the gap between the mob and this woman. And he says, you know what? Whoever of you is without sin should throw the first stone. Let's do it that way. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus turned the whole situation on its head and he showed people a completely different way to view righteousness and judgment and justice. And I've been thinking about this all week, wondering as Jesus was looking at that woman, is it possible, we don't know this for sure, but is it possible that he thought back to the way that his dad had responded to his mom when she was in a similar situation? Again, we have no way to know that, but we do know that Joseph's desire was not to disgrace Mary, but to divorce her quietly. 
But now this angel of the Lord has come. He's confirmed Mary's story, and he's commanded Joseph to take her as his wife. And in obeying this command, Joseph was in a way taking her death sentence on himself. He was putting his own reputation to death. Because, again, everyone assumed that Mary had been immoral. She was an adulteress. So would they now think poorly of Joseph? Probably. Would they think that he was the one who had broken the betrothal? Maybe. Would they question his character? Would they, would they question his wisdom in sticking with her? How would this affect his relationship with his family and with his friends? Joseph's reputation would now forever be tied to this supposedly illegitimate child. And the truth is, some of you have experienced something similar. Because the cost for you in following Christ has been the same kind of thing. Where people have looked at you funny. Maybe it's cost you something in your friendships. Maybe it's cost you something in your family or in your workplace. Maybe, maybe it's cost you something that, uh, that you never thought it would cost. The choice to follow Jesus comes with the reality that people might shame you. They might ridicule you. They might mock you. It was true for Joseph, and it may be true for us as well. It's often the cost of following Jesus. Here's something else that was required of, of Joseph. It was his obedience, his obedience. Joseph had to offer absolute obedience to God's plan, and his obedience here was significant. I think it's really easy to miss this, but Joseph had to say no to his own desires in order to say yes to God's plan for his life. Verse 25 says it this way. It says that he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And those words, knew her not, simply imply that Joseph and Mary did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus' birth. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on this passage, says that Matthew wanted to make Jesus' virgin birth quite unambiguous, for he adds that Joseph had no union with Mary until she gave birth to Jesus. So listen, Joseph was ready to wait the entire betrothal period before being intimate with his already legal wife. Okay, a full year, a full betrothal period. At some point in that year, we're not told when, Mary becomes pregnant with Christ. And so let's, assume, let's just say that she got pregnant toward the end of that betrothal period. Now Joseph is committing to not being intimate with his wife for a full another nine months. It could have been up to that long. And I think that that's really important for us to consider because we live in a culture today with virtually, virtually no rules, no boundaries, and no waiting when it comes to something like sexual intimacy or sexual integrity. At Genesis Church, I want you to know that we believe what the Bible teaches, that God designed sex to be enjoyed between one man and one woman within the context of marriage. And anything that falls outside of those boundaries is sin. And if you've gone outside of God's boundaries, I want you to know my intention is not to shame you. It is not to punish you. I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you and there's forgiveness when we confess sins. John tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But I'm afraid that some of us have taken God's grace and God's forgiveness and we've used it as an excuse to sin in this area of sexuality. What a wonderful and intimate gift God has offered to us. But just like any gift, the giver gets to decide who the gift is for and when it is to be received. And you don't need me to tell you that obedience in any area isn't easy. 
But the more we choose to walk in it, the more we choose to walk in obedience to God, the more we'll experience his blessings. And that's what we see in Joseph's story. He said no to his own desires in order to say yes to following God. One more thing that's required of Joseph. For him, it would mean embracing inconvenience. Embracing inconvenience. There's just no way around it. Like following God's plan for his life made Joseph's life complicated. It made it inconvenient. The whole ordeal likely messed up, again, his, his reputation, his relationships. Probably it messed with his livelihood. He would eventually have to flee to a completely different country and start all the way over. Not to mention the donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem with a pregnant woman. I mean, that's significant, right? But some of you know that following Jesus is rarely convenient. I mean, volunteering isn't convenient. Giving isn't convenient. Making time to connect with others isn't convenient. Things like fostering and adoption aren't convenient. Loving people through their struggles isn't convenient. Forgiving isn't convenient. Worshiping every weekend with a church family is, is seldom convenient. There's always other things we could do with our, our time, and it just seems like there's never enough time to get the things done we want to do on the weekend. But what we see in Joseph's life is that though he could have walked away and said, no, thank you, he did not. He was willing to pay the price with his faith, with his reputation, with his obedience, and the inconvenience, all for the sake of following Jesus. That's what it cost Joseph. But what we haven't seen is the why. Why would, why would he do that? What could have possibly motivated Joseph to live this way? What could have made the cost worth it? Well, one thing stands out to me, and it's this. It's pure joy. I think Joseph experienced pure joy. I want you to look at the first word of verse 23. It's the word behold. And in the Greek, it's the word I do. It's a powerful word. It's like exclaiming, look at this. Because when you look at this, when you see it, you'll have the strength to do what God is asking you to do. And what was it that Joseph was now beholding? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, what Matthew is doing here is he is actually quoting something from the Old Testament. It's a prophecy that was given through the prophet Isaiah. It's found in Isaiah 7.14, and it was given to King Ahaz. He was the king of Judah some, somewhere around 700 B.C. Now, Ahaz was not a good guy. He was not a godly king of Judah. And yet, uh, he found himself in a distressing situation. The king of Syria decided he wanted to attack Judah. And Ahaz knew that his armies were not as strong as Syria's armies. He knew that he would be defeated and his kingdom would be destroyed and he would likely be abused in the process. But even though he was not a good king, Isaiah delivered a message to him anyway. And the message was this, behold... The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah is saying God is going to be with you, Ahaz, and the sign will be that the virgin will conceive a son. Now, here's what's interesting. 
that word virgin in Hebrew can mean one of two things. It can mean what we think of, a girl who has never been intimate with a man, but it can also mean a girl of marriageable age. And in this context, in this story with King Ahaz, it would have been understood as the later. And so this prophecy really didn't seem... I mean, it just seemed kind of weird, quite honestly, and it wasn't that impressive because young women conceive all the time. And so, you know, it happened. Someone in Ahaz's house conceived, and then he had the victory in that battle with Syria, and so God was faithful to his word, but the prophecy was just kind of a mystery until Matthew connected the news that had just been given to Joseph all the way back to 700 BC to this prophecy that was spoken to Ahaz all those years ago. And it's like Matthew's essentially saying, this is what he was talking about. It's not just that a young woman will conceive, but that a virgin, the other meaning of virgin, will conceive. And through that child, I will deliver Israel, not from one invading army, but I will deliver her forever. From, from all evil, from all sin, and I will fulfill my promises to Abraham and to David. Remember last week, we, we looked briefly at the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants. And at this point in history, at this point when, when Joseph receives this news from the angel, it's been roughly 2,000 years since God made the covenant with Abraham that the entire world would be blessed through him. And it's been about a 1,000 years since God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. And 400-some years had passed from the final prophecies of the Old Testament to the story that we're reading about today. And now God has revealed to Joseph in a dream that Mary's child is the one. I doubt that we can fully imagine the depth of Joseph's joy in discovering that not only was the Messiah coming in his time, not only was the Messiah coming in his region or in his town, but that the Messiah is in his wife's belly. And did you notice that Matthew actually highlights two different names for the child? In verse 21, he's to be given the name Jesus. And in verse 23, he will be called Emmanuel. And that's significant because Jesus means God saves. And Emmanuel means God with us. And in these two names, we are both shown what, uh, both a picture of who the baby was, God in the flesh, God come to dwell among us, but also what he came to do. God saves. He came to live among us and to save us. And Joseph, putting all of this together, realizes that he has been chosen to be a part of God's redeeming plan. And knowing that truth, I believe, made it a thing of pure joy to say yes to following God wherever he might lead. But what Joseph didn't know was that everything God would ask of him Jesus would do in a much greater sense for him. Because like Joseph, Jesus would live a life of faith, but he would do it perfectly. He would be tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he would live a life without sin. And Jesus' reputation would be questioned, just like Joseph's, as he was falsely accused and then even condemned for wrongs he did not commit. And Christ would have to deny himself and be obedient, taking the punishment and the abuse all the time knowing that, that he could end it with a single word. And to simply say that Christ embraced inconvenience, that makes me feel almost sacrilegious. The God of heaven 
the creator of everything, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant and was found in human likeness. And he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did it all. Why? Hebrews 12.2 tells us why. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's why Christ did it. It was for the joy set before him. That's why Christ had the drive and the motivation and the strength to say yes to God. It was because of the joy of knowing that he was about to complete his mission that he would be reunited with his father in heaven, that all things would be put right because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his life-giving resurrection. J.D. Greer said it this way. He said that Christ saw that the joy of the treasure was worth more than the pain of the sacrifice. And in order to follow Christ with our own lives, that's what we'll have to see too. We have to behold that same thing. That we, we have to see Christ's birth. We have to behold his cradle. And then we have to look at the cross and behold his death and know that he gave up everything for us. And when we believe in his name and we surrender to him that we can be made new, we can repent of our sins and find forgiveness for every wrong thing we've ever done. And the Bible says that when we do this, something else happens. God sends his Holy Spirit, Christ sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And the Bible says that, that he is like a deposit in there, guaranteeing what is to come, the redemption of our bodies, the day when we will be with Christ in eternity forever. And just like Mary, who had the hope of glory living in her belly, now followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts reminding us of all of these things, guaranteeing us of this better day that is to come and filling us with pure joy. Folks, I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe you'd say you're fine. Maybe never better. This is fine. 2020 hasn't affected me at all, but some of you for sure are running on empty. And I know that this Christmas is probably gonna look different than any other we've ever experienced, but don't forget this. Christmas reminds us of the unexpected truth that joy came down, that joy is here. And no matter how bad it may seem or how bad it might get, we can have joy in Christ. But we've got to keep our hope and our eyes fixed on the gospel. That's the key. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I am so thankful for the Christmas story. And I'm so thankful, God, that it, it didn't end there. It didn't end at, at simply sending your son, which would have been enough. But Father, you knew that in order for us to be saved, that he would have to live that perfect life, that, that he would have to die a sacrificial death. He would have to take the penalty that we deserved for the things that we had done to be falsely accused and condemned and killed on that cross in order for us to find hope and new life in him. And you didn't withhold even your one and only son because you so loved the world. You so desired for us to be brought into a right relationship with you, Lord. And I thank you for the gift that you've given us in your Holy Spirit 
Father, living inside of us, guaranteeing our salvation. Father, he's there to encourage us and to equip us and to guide us, but to remind us also that as bad as things might get here, that something better is coming. And so I pray this morning that we would see and know that the joy of the treasure is worth more than the pain of the sacrifice. God, would you just burn that into our hearts and our minds today that we would face anything that might come our way with joy and with confidence and with hope because of what you've done for us through Jesus. God, we just say thank you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. We are yours. And the cost of following you is worth it. Thank you for the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray.